The scripture for this message comes from the book of Isaiah, chapter 40, verses 21 through 31. Have you not known? Have you not heard? Has it not been told to you from the beginning? Have you not understood the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to live in, who brings princes to naught and makes the rulers of the earth as nothing. Scarcely they are planted, scarcely sown, scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth. When he blows upon them and they wither and the tempest carries them off like stubble. To whom then will you compare me? Or who is my equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these, who brings out their hosts and numbers them, calling them all by name, because he is great in strength, mighty in power, not one is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God? Have you not known Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint and strengthens the powerless. Even youths will faint and be weary, and the young will fall exhausted. But those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Holy and gracious God, may the words of my mouth and meditations of each one of our hearts be holy and pleasing to you, that we would continue to seek after your voice, even when we think it may not be present. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Have you not known? Have you not heard? We hear this phrase, we hear it twice in this passage, right? We hear it right there at the beginning of verse 21, and then we hear it again at the beginning of verse 28, right? The writer really trying to point out the lesson that we are meant to be taking from this, from this passage. And yet, as we look in this passage, And we are in the midst of this series called Speak, where we are exploring God's, not God's word, but God's voice. And yes, I intentionally, when I was uh, putting this series together, I did note it as God's voice, not necessarily as God's word, right? I mean, God's word means something to us, but I think when we begin to look in these passages We are not just looking for God's word, but we are seeking God's voice, God's literal voice, the words that God says. And yet, in this passage, in Isaiah 40, that Jason so beautifully read for us this morning, we did not hear, thus says the Lord, nor did we hear God said, And now you guys are thinking, Pastor, where is God's voice in this passage? Right? Now, these last couple of weeks in this series were ones that kind of made me waver on whether I wanted to call it God's voice instead of God's word. 
because we don't actually see God or read in these passages about God saying something physical as we have in the last ones. But just because we don't see this passage say, and God said, or thus saith the Lord, it doesn't mean that we cannot tease out and discern what God's voice is for the Israelites in this time. Right? Passages like this teach us how to look for God's voice when we think we do not perceive it, when we think it is not there. And then it becomes a reminder for us to never forget God's word for us, to never forget those words that God has said, to never forget the direction, the vision, the mission that God calls us towards. And it's going to lead us to see that there is this reflective, na the reflective nature in faith that pushes us forward as we begin to look and discern the work that God is doing. Right? When we discern what God offers, when we look for those fruits, we find ways to move our faith forward, to continue to learn, to continue to grow, continue to mature. And when we dive into what this passage is calling us towards, calling readers towards in the times of Isaiah, we begin to see how God's voice is perceived not necessarily in what is right in front of us, but in what God has already done in our lives. Right, and this lesson is learned, right? We dive into the historical context of this passage and, and even unpack a little bit of what is happening throughout this passage. Rooted in unpacking this nature of Isaiah 40, as we are discerning how we have experienced God. Right? We started this series all the way back at the beginning of January, which felt like six years ago at this point in time in the year. And we started to look and see what this affirmation from God looks like, right? We all know and live into this idea that we are created in God's image, but unfortunately, sometimes we forget that. And so we come into the midst of God, and God affirms who we are, right? We, we, affirm that a lot of, we affirm that most notably through baptism and through our justification in faith. Continuing on, as we began to look at how God interacted with humanity throughout the Old Testament, from listening to God's voice, to discerning God's voice, to acting on God's voice, to proclaiming God's word, all of these different things have led us, right? Each of these actions have led us to where we are right now, right? If we look where we have been in this series, much of the stuff in this series reflects on where we have heard God's voice, right? For many of us, we heard God's voice affirm us in baptism, we have heard God's voice calling us into ministry. We have done works of listening and discernment in our ministry. And now we are right here. We are February 4th, 2024. And for the most part in our church, we are stuck. We are stuck, especially in our current society. We feel stuck because of everything else that comes at us. And then enter a dive into Isaiah 40, right? These 10 verses from 21 to 31, inviting us in to learn from the mistakes of faiths that have come before us, 
of how the Israelites understood God, even of how it is written for their experience in this time. Right, most of you are, remember, this is not the first time I've preached on Isaiah, but for those of you who are unfamiliar, um, traditionally, um, and in our understanding of Scripture, Isaiah is broken down into three parts. Right, many of you have probably heard me talking about this. You have proto-Isaiah, or the first Isaiah, the first book of Isaiah, and this is from chapters 1 to 39. And this describes the time in Israel's history where before the Babylonian exile, this is actually the only portion of the book of Isaiah that we believe was written by the actual prophet Isaiah ben Amos himself. And then we move into what is known as Deutero-Isaiah, the second part of Isaiah, taking us from chapters 40 to 55. And between chapter 39 and 40, we have the fall of Israel conquered by the Babylonians, and then the Babylonian exile where Israelites are forced out of the land of Israel, out of the land of Judea, and are forced into exile in the land of Babylon. And then we have finally the third section of Isaiah, 56 to 66, which we looked at a lot during Advent. It is a prophetic, apocalyptic literature that points towards this coming of a Messiah as the Israelites are returning to Israel and they need these good words as they seek to almost recreate their identity. And so you'll notice that chapter 40, the, the chapter that we are in today, it falls right at the beginning of that Deutero-Isaiah section, that section where the prophet begins to write to a people who are in exile, right? They've been stripped of their land, and seemingly they have been stripped of their God, because when we read, when we read the Old Testament, we see this very deep connection between God and the, the, the promised land of Israel and Judea. There's this great connection that they have to be in this land as they are experiencing God. They do so much work throughout the time of the Exodus, throughout the time of, of the reign of Joshua, throughout the time of Judges, and throughout the time of the kings, that they, are, that they have this deep connection between faith and land. Right? We see this from historical documents. We see this from the scriptures that make up our own biblical canon. We see this from writings that reflect on that time. Right, the nations of Israel and Judea, they were connected by the temple, by the Ark of the Covenant. That was how they experienced God. And so now you have a prophetic writing that is being written, that is being passed around orally in a time where people have lost this connection. And so the prophet is trying to hone in on that faith-filled connection that they had with God in Judea, connected to that feeling they can and should carry with them into exile. It's almost as if they are being called to hearken back to those feelings, those understandings they had of God back when they were in Israel, and to be reminded that you can experience this now as well, because God is not bound in the way that we think God is bound. God is everywhere. God is all over. And we hear the prophet rolling through this idea throughout this passage. 
They want the people of God to know that God still cares for them, even though they have lost what they feel connects them to God. There's a lesson that's not just for the Israelites in this time, but it becomes the very nature of the ministry of Jesus when he is going around and prophesying as well. Right? He, Isaiah, or the, the prophet who is writing in the second part of Isaiah, is noting the struggles of God's people in exile and trying to reconnect them. And so we get this refrain, have you not known? Have you not heard? It's like, come on, folks, get on board with what you know to be true. It was meant to lead them down this path that they knew where they could go in the future. Right? They don't know how long this exile is going to last or even if they will ever be able to go back to their homeland. But look, here's the reminder, right? Like, go, uh, look in your notes there, right at verse 28, right at the end of verse 28, right? It, it, Isaiah asks, he's like, have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is everlasting, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, strengthens the powerless. Even youth will faint and be weary, and the young will feel exhausted. Isaiah is essentially saying, look, I understand that this situation sucks. This is awful, right? I know you are upset. These people, they came in, they took your land, they sent you away. But remember, the God who created the earth, the God who created us, God doesn't get tired coming after us. God doesn't get tired searching for us. We think we can put barriers up against God. We think that other people can put barriers for God for us. We think our weaknesses cannot be overcome. We think we have to have this land. We think we have to have this temple. We think we have to have this place. And this is the only place we can connect with him. But Isaiah's like, no, God is always there. God is always with us. And how do we know this? Because of the work that God has done throughout our lives. Right, again, look at where we've been in this series, right? We've, we've been through all of these weeks, and we've been looking a lot of times while we continue to listen for God's word. When we talk about God's voice in our lives, we often talk about it in the past tense. And so this week, again, this is the climactic week where now we are in this present day, and we need to figure out what we're doing. And we're stuck, and there's so many things going on around us. And we feel like we're in that wilderness. We feel like we're in that exile a lot. But Isaiah's like, no, no, no. God's always there. How do we know God's always there? How do we know God is always with us? How do we know God is watching over us? Because of what God has done in and through us all throughout our lives. Right, Isaiah goes on to say, but those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up on wings with, on, up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Now, friends, I'm not going to lie to you. I am terrible when it comes to grammar. I am an awful writer. Um, I, am, I feel blessed to have a friend who edits just about everything that I do and write because otherwise I would be in a lot of trouble. Never did like English class growing up. I never did well in English class growing up. But if there's one thing I have learned in biblical interpretation, it is that you need to pay attention to grammar. Which again, it's very tough for someone who did not do well in grammar. 
Because you see, the words that often are before us, the way they are presented to us, both from, in, in the case of Isaiah, from the Hebrew and the way that we translate them into the English, often tells us more than the words themselves. And this verse 31 is a very interesting verse when we talk about that. Why? There are seven verbs in this passage. And again, I'm about to go down a very dangerous alley if there is an English teacher present, so please don't kill me. So there are seven verbs. The first verb, to wait, is in the form of a present participle. You didn't know you were getting an English lesson today, did you? Trust me, it makes sense. So a participle is used in the continuous tenses or as an adjective describing an action that is currently taking place. All right, describing an adjective, it's being used as an adjective to describe an action that is currently taking place. So for those who wait on the Lord, those who are waiting upon the Lord, the action proposed, right, is waiting, but even so, this is not a passive. The, 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 the author is not using this in a passive way. The author is using this in an active way. Right? This is the same type of waiting that we hear from Jesus. This is the same type of waiting that we hear from Paul, from Peter. This is the same type of waiting we hear throughout the Bible. This is an active waiting. This is a waiting that tells us, pay attention. Because God is not done. And how do we know God is not done? Well, I'm glad you asked because now we look at the other six verbs. The other six verbs, renew, mount up, run, grow, walk, faint. And these are being presented in an imperfect tense. Now again, you're like, what does that mean? Well, I'm, I'm glad that Google exists. So an imperfect tense describes a past action or state which is incomplete. The tense indicates an action that has gone on over some time and has happened frequently. And it also denotes things that are continuing to happen. So it's something that has been happening for an extended length of time, but now we get to this point, it's not done, and so the work, by nature, continues to move forward. Honoring both what has happened in the past and naming where we are in the present. And so we begin to see, as we are reminded and combine all of these ideas together, that we have, uh, we are being called in this passage, right? Those who wait upon the Lord, we are being called to pay attention, right? Pay attention to what God has done because what God is going to continue to do when we pay attention shall renew their strength, shall mount up with wings like eagles, shall run and not be weary, shall walk and not faint, right? We are being told that God has been doing this all since the very beginning, and our paying attention to what God is doing leads us to continue to see this work that God is doing in our lives. And so we cannot give up on God. Even though it can be so easy to think that when we leave these doors, we stop experiencing God. When we're having a bad day, we stop experiencing God. When everything around us just seems to be bombarding us, hitting us. When other people try and shake our faith, they can feel like we are without God. But what do we hearken back to? We are reminded that as we pay attention to what God is doing, we have seen the work that God has done, and we will continue to see the work that God is going to do. The work happening helps to remind the Israelites of the work that God will continue to do through them. 
throughout creation. Right? We talked about proclaiming God's word. And this is an example. Proclaiming can be as much an action as it is speaking, right? Uh, a quote that's often attributed to St. Francis of Assisi, preach often. I got that part done. When necessary, use words. Now, I don't know about you. I feel like for me, words are a necessity of life. Isaiah is calling his readers to remember everything, not only that God has said, but that God has done. Right? Those who are waiting on the Lord, those who have been a part of God's almighty plan, those who have been affirmed by God, those who are listening to God, those who have discerned where God is calling them, it does not matter. God will continue to work in your lives. And what do we call this? We call this experience. And there's a reason that a lot of our contemporary theology is built around experience, right? It began, you know, when, uh, especially in our tradition, began with Wesley really putting an emphasis that there is an experiential nature of faith and theology that builds out of how we experience God, right? My experience of God has called me to live out my faith in a certain way. It has called me to be a pastor in the church. Your experience of God might not be calling you to be a pastor. Your experience of God might be calling you to do something else. Your experience of God might call you to go in a different direction. Your experience of God may find you with different passions of ministry. Isaiah wants the Israelites to reconnect this worth, this idea of experience to God. God is not land. God is not a building. God is not one place. God is everywhere. And if we are attuned to God, if we are listening to God, if we are active in our waiting and paying attention to who God is, then God continues to work in our lives. But the moment we allow God to leave, that we forsake God, that we try to build barriers that gets in the way of God reaching us, that is when we stop that work that God is trying to do, and it is our fault. In our faith, this idea plays a huge role. Our experiences of humanity, they influence the way that we understand God. Our experience of the church impacts the way we understand God. The lessons and natures we get as we're growing up impact the way we understand God. And each and every one of those things are carried with us as we go into the world. This right here, right now, is a godly experience. And you will leave this godly experience and go into the world, and it will be parts of worship. It will be parts of fellowship. It will be parts of gathering that will help to carry you through because you have experienced God. And so you will never forget what God has done in your life. It plays a role in how we express our faith. It plays a role in how we live out our doctrine. It plays a way in how we participate in our communities. This passage is as much a reminder of God's word itself and friends, this is what I love. The church, this body, this community, whatever we want to call it. This, we are the intersection of God's word and God's work. In God's word, we experience God's calling through Jesus Christ. And in God's work, we seek to embody the essence of heaven here on earth. This is what moves us forward. 
right? These, these imperfect verbs, they remind us that God is always working within humanity. God's work is always incomplete. I had a professor, one of the questions we get asked when we're ordained is, uh, do you hope to be made perfect in this lifetime? And you know what? I do hope to be perfect in love in this lifetime. And yet I know that the moment I think I am perfect in love in this lifetime, I still have work to do. Because God is always, always, always working within us. God is always calling us. God is always leading us along as we are doing God's work. Like I feel like this gets missed a lot, right? We talk about the good old times. This is how we've always done it. That's not how we do it here. It might not be how you've done it, but have we ever considered that maybe God is calling us in different directions? Have we learned from what we've done in order to move forward? Like when we do events here at the church, we, we talk about it afterwards. What worked? What didn't work? So that next time we can make sure we're doing it better. That's how the nature of God works within us. This is how we experience God. This is how we develop our faith. This is how we develop our theology. This is how we live into God's assurance of our salvation. And so we're reminded here, right? God has spoken to us already. God's done that numerous times. Sometimes God's got to yell at me. But God's spoken to us. How are we in our lives, in our faith, how are we taking what God has done in our lives to move ourselves forward, to continue to progress to be the church of perfect love, of heaven that God has planned for each and every one of us, for all of creation? Amen.